Welcome to the Don't Stop Me Now podcast. I am your host, Jennifer Vaughn. My guest today is Carrie Luther, and it's been a long time coming for me to have Carrie in some capacity on my social media to share her son Tasha's story. I'll explain more of how that all came to be in our discussion. I will share that today's podcast has nothing to do with HIV. We will be talking about an urgent issue that's affecting and killing tens of thousands annually in the U.S. and thousands beyond. Thank you for listening today. Please share this information. If you could, it could save a life. And honestly, it might be yours. Okay, are you there? Can you hear me okay? I am here now. Great. Awesome. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. I was um, thinking, I just, you know, last night in preparing to talk to you, I thought I'm going to go into my paperwork and find all the paperwork that I had brought back from that meeting that I had gone to where I first discovered you. And so it was just interesting going over it again. And I thought I will just give a little bit of a backstory about how I discovered you. And here you (laughs) here you were really right underneath my nose. And I found I I was in Washington, D.C. I mean, it's so unusual. So um, for those that don't know, we both live in California. You and I live probably, I don't know, maybe 45 minutes from each other. If that. Yeah. Yeah. Like maybe a half an hour. Right. So I'm in Washington, D.C. at this. It's an ADAP Advocacy Association meeting. So ADAP is the AIDS Drug Assistance Program, of course. And then the advocacy is they have advocates there and it's, you know, their association. So they call it the AAA, no association yeah. with the car um, insurance company. And um, so we're there. And, you know, uh, I actually gave a keynote speech that day. I was so nervous. And that was over with. It was done first thing in the morning. And then we had some sessions. We went to lunch and the, you know, the jet lag was starting to hit me. And <laughs> we had our last session of the day, which was called the drug importation, why mm-hmm. the policy is a hard pill to swallow. So I was like, oh, this sounds so dry, but I'm just going to get through it. <laughs> I have no idea what this is about. So I, um, as I walk into the room, they have a table set up with um, flyers and Mm -hmm. I just grab one of each and I'm sitting there in the conference room, kind of waiting for things to get going. They've got people, you know, they're getting everyone situated on the stage with their mics and everything. And I see your flyer and I see your picture that you're holding. And I see that there's a young man in the picture with a giant's uniform on And all of a sudden it all starts to hit me. I'm like, wait a second. I know this story. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. This is like my town because I went to Knob Hill. I went to that grocery store. I'm not going to give the story away, but Uh (laughs) as I'm reading through it, I'm getting just goosebumps going, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And like, here's this whole thing written about your story. And, um, and I was just the whole session was mind blowing to me. And so when I got home, I was like, I have to get a hold of Carrie. And I've got, I have a, you know, I have a YouTube channel, but I really didn't know how to do interviews on there. It's just really kind of complicated. And I had thought, well, you and I had met, we met up, we Mm -hmm. met up at a Starbucks and had a conversation about everything. And we had planned on doing, um, I don't know what I was thinking. Maybe I would do it in a park or something. I just was, it was something I wouldn't have ever had done before. So I was sort of yeah. like reluctant and then things got busy and I sort of just wasn't even sure what I was doing with my channel anymore. And so, um, it so- just sort of fell by the wayside, but now I have this podcast and this is so much easier. And I had you on my list right away. And I thought I've got to get Carrie on here to tell the story. So there's my two cents. Now you yeah. tell me what you want to tell me. Well, I, um, you know, you've heard Tasha's story. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't know if you'd like for me to start, you know, kind of in the beginning. Oh, tell um, the whole story. This will be for people that have never heard of people. Never heard. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, as I always say, um, I, you know, I wish I could say I'm happy to be here with you. I understand. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And because the only reason I'm really here is because my son died. Mm -hmm. However, um, I'm very grateful that I'm here Mm -hmm. and that I have the opportunity to share with people because it's such an important message. And sadly, it's continued. You know, it's, it's continued for five years beyond when Tosh died. Right. And I'm really sad that it's still continuing even in recent weeks mm. um, and months in, in just the Santa Cruz County area. Oh my and gosh. So that tells me, you know, as I read, I, I read article after article after article of young people losing their lives uh, over these counterfeit prescription medications that have no idea what's happening to them. Right. And so, you know, if I tell, I like to tell a little bit about who Tosh was in life, because I think it's important for people to understand that he was just like them Yep. in so many ways. And, you know, he was uh, funny and intelligent and um, loving and kind. And he was a pain in the butt sometimes, <laughs> <laughs> you know, just like all young adults. Sure. Um, but he was, uh, he was a, a fierce defender of his mother mm. and a good sport. You know, he would go out with me to uh, watch meteor showers in the middle of the night because he knew I loved them. <laughs> and uh, we shared a, a great love for Giants baseball spent a lot of time watching games and talking about, you know, the next big trade or acquisition or what have you. Mm -hmm. And um, we loved playing games together. He was a very good writer. He wrote many uh, lyrics that we didn't know about until after he passed. Oh, found them in a notebook afterward. And uh, we knew he was a good writer just because he had gotten an award at Cabrillo College, you know, local junior college during his education uh, in communications. And he was told that he was a good expository writer by one of his professors. And so, you know, we were always talking about, okay, what can he do with that as a career? And I always encouraged him. And in fact, we were discussing this in the weeks leading up to his passing that he would be really good in human resources. Mm. And um, because he had a way with people, he just Mm. really always from the time he was young understood why people do the things they do. Mm -hmm. And um, so we were talking about him going back to school to do that. Cause that's what I do. You know, I'm a human resources professional. Mm-hmm. And so I recognize that he had a lot of the same competencies that I have in that area. And, right. um, and so, you know, unfortunately, very sadly, we didn't get to see that come to fruition. Mm-hmm. Um, he had, he had two nieces that he adored and I have lots of pictures of him, you know, with his nieces being goofy. That's the other <laughs> thing we loved about Tosh is he was goofy and, he wasn't afraid. He was authentic. He wasn't afraid to be who he really was. And mm-hmm. that was a beautiful thing. And um, he was very introspective and 
thoughtful and uh, was always exploring, you know, why he was doing the things he was doing even. Mm-hmm. So, um, but he did, he worked at Knob Hill in Watsonville yeah. in the, at the seafood counter. He came to make very dear relationships with many of his customers. Um, mm-hmm. We got lots of cards and letters and just letters of people making donations in his name, um, organizations in Santa Cruz County to honor him, you know, and that was very special to me to hear as a mom that he had that kind of an impact on people. And uh, one letter in particular said that, you know, when you were talking to Tosh, he made you feel like you were the most important thing at Mm. that moment to him. Mm. And I thought that was very special. And so I think what happened is a lot of people uh, that work together came to realize that they all felt that same way about him. People from the store that uh, were customers came to his services to pay their respects. And he had, uh, we had over 400 people at our little church in Coralitas. Oh, wow. uh, That were just spilling out into the parking lot, frankly. Mm -hmm. And so of course, as a, as a mom and dad and uh, siblings, that was very special to us. Mm -hmm. Um, he, he liked to tease mom, you know, he, in fact, he was funny. He said one time, um, I wish everybody thought I was as funny as I think I am. (laughs) (laughs) Don't we all? Yeah. Don't we all? Yeah. 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 But uh, he was a lot of, he was a special guy and, and he wasn't perfect by any stretch, but he was very, um, he was thoughtful and he was recognizing that, you know, he's, going to be 30 soon when, when he passed away Mm -hmm. and that he was talking to his friends, you know, about it's time for us to grow up you guys. And it's not going to be like a light switch that just happens. We have to make it happen. Mm -hmm. And he was working toward that. And, um, and then unfortunately he never got the chance. Right. And that shouldn't have happened. Right. Um, And so, you know, one day in October of 2015, he went to the beach with some friends because he had the day off. Mm -hmm. And uh, after the beach, they headed over to one of his friend's homes to watch Monday night football. And after that, it was, uh, he went home and he lived way up in the Aptos Hills, which is, you know, like 10 minutes from the village, what they call it, down in Aptos. And it's just a cute little community where he grew up really. Mm -hmm. And, and where I grew up, you know, is um, now it's a third generation of, of a Aptos high school student with my granddaughter. And that's where my daughters went and are going. And that's where my son's going. Yeah. Yeah. So all very tied into this community. Yeah. Very much. Yes. So he went home afterward and called his girlfriend as he often did when he got home from hanging out with the boys, you know, and I should say he was 29 at the Mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. And they talked for a little bit and said goodnight. Well, he had been struggling with, uh, with, uh, what do you call hives, a really bad rash on his torso. That's right. Yeah. And I had seen them. They were awful. Just these welts all over his back and his chest and abdomen. And so he had gone to the doctor to find out what's going on. And they didn't really know except to say, well, you've got an allergy of some sort. Mm -hmm. And so we're probably, you know, going to need to do some blood work. 
and they recommended that he take Benadryl during that time, and he did. And uh, he was actually scheduled to go get blood work done um, the day of his passing. Mm-hmm. And so he couldn't sleep because of the itching. Called his girlfriend back and they talked for about another hour, she said, probably until about uh, 2.30 in the morning, something mm-hmm. like that. Said She said everything sounded normal with him except for his itching complaints. Mm-hmm. And they agreed that they would meet the next morning and go get his blood work done. So he um, was gonna call her about 11 o'clock and she, he didn't. And so she started calling him at about 11.30 and couldn't get an answer. So after a period of time, you know, as a young woman, she was getting annoyed thinking he'd stood her up. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but you know, she said that wasn't like him. And so she knew something was up and she drove to his home, got there and saw his car in the driveway. So she knew he was there. And after some time, took her a little bit, um, she got into his bedroom because his door was locked, Mm -hmm. but she could see through a window to his bedroom that he was in there laying on his bed. Mm. And so she got in and He was on his stomach. She could see that he had vomited on his pillow and she touched his shoulder to jostle him. Uh And uh, he was cool to the touch. Oh, I know. Bless her heart. And so she rolled him over and his lips were blue. Mm. So she called 911, of course, and they instructed her how to get him onto the floor and start CPR. And uh, so she continued to do that for quite a long time until the EMTs got there because it is a long way up and it's very narrow and it's basically a one lane road up into the mountains. And um, they took over when they got there. And we know, you know, so many people in the community from having lived here for so long that we had people in that uh, discipline tell us that they did everything they could. Mm -hmm. And um, it was just too late. And so I got the call um, about it, his passing um, at about three o'clock on Tuesday afternoon, the 27th of October. And of course I raced up to his house as did his dad. And Of course, we were not allowed to go in and see him uh, Mm. until the coroner came to do the investigation. So we just had to sit outside and answer lots of questions and wait and just process what was happening. You know. Oh my gosh! And all you want to do, I'm sure, is go in there. Absolutely. And Zoe was there, his girlfriend, and I didn't know her at all. Really, I had met her one other time. Earlier that fall, we all went to the fair together and, you know, spent the whole evening together at the fair, but I didn't get to talk to her or anything really. Mm -hmm. And so that was her real first time, you know, dealing with us as his parents. Mm. And, um, and, you know, it was just devastating. I mean, in fact, Zoe said, you know, she'll never forget the wailing that came out of my mouth. Oh my gosh. When I arrived. Yeah. 
Do you remember or were you in such oh, yeah. shock that it's a, like a bit of a blank or do no, you remember? You yeah, do. Yeah, I do. I remember it. And, you know, for the longest time, that's all I could think about mm -hmm. um, every night, you know, oh, is God. I just replayed it over and over and over in my head. And mm -hmm. um, I, I can't even tell you how long it was before I stopped doing that. Did you know before you got up there that he had already passed or was that not until you yeah. arrived? No, I knew he had. So the whole drive there, you're aware of this. Yes. Oh. And, and as I'm driving up this road to his house, I see the ambulance coming the other way. Oh. And I'm just like out loud praying, oh, please, please don't let him be in that. You know, mm -hmm. I have to see him. Mm -hmm. And um, he wasn't, but I wasn't able to see him when I arrived. And yeah, you drove yeah. yourself? Mm -hmm. I did. Oh, my gosh. I had to call my, um, well, my, my oldest daughter already knew because she, her dad called her trying to find me because I had just, just that moment run upstairs to get something because I was working on my budget for work. Uh -huh. And, um, and she called me and said that her dad was trying to get a hold of me that Tosh had died. Oh my God. Yeah. And so I had to get a hold of my other daughter because she was on her way to work. Oh, and I no. knew, you know, I just had to catch her before she got there. So you and gave her the news. I did. And oh. so she actually had someone from her workplace drove her up mm -hmm. there. So we waited for the coroner and he, did his investigation and came and asked us lots of questions. And the only thing he really found was this little pouch with a Motrin bottle in it. And so he took that with him. There was nothing else. Oh, and, and the blister packs from the Benadryl. And, um, and so they took that. And then I, they said I could, we could go in. And Zoe said, Carrie, don't. You don't, mm. you don't want to see him like that. Mm. He doesn't even look like him anymore. Oh. And I, so I didn't. And they, you know, took him out on the, in a body bag on oh. the gurney thing out to the van. And, you know, there's a part of me that regrets not seeing him and not so much to see him, but just to hold him mm -hmm. as my son. Yeah, because it's so soon after he passed. It's like you yeah. want to almost grab that time and yeah. be as close to it as you can, yeah. I guess, if that makes sense. No, it totally does. And I will yeah. say that I'm so grateful, so grateful. So that, you know, that was a Monday night going into early Tuesday morning mm -hmm. when this all happened. Well, Sunday night, at the time, I lived just a couple miles from where he worked at Knob Hill. And Sunday night after work, he stopped by unannounced, you know, and uh, came in the door and did his typical, hey, mom, you know, what are you doing for dinner? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, well, shoot, honey, I said, I actually have to go to the church for a meeting, mm -hmm. but um, I'll order pizza because his younger brother, you know, still lived with me and um, he needed to eat. So I said, he has to eat anyway, and I'll order pizza for you guys. And he was like, oh, you don't have to do that. And, mm -hmm. and I said, no, I'd really like to. And <laughs> so we just talked briefly about how things are going and so forth. And then I had to get going. So 
he stayed and watched either the World Series or uh, it must have been World Series games with my son. Mm -hmm. Um, And while I went to my meeting and I remember coming home and being so disappointed that his car was gone already that Mm. he had gone home already, you know, Mm -hmm. and it was, I mean, it wasn't like it was already, but um, I was just, I remember that moment of being disappointed that I didn't get to see him that evening again, Mm because I really, I really loved hanging out with Tosh. (laughs) Um, We just really, as a family, we just really enjoyed being together and all the kids, I have four children and they all just really loved being together. That's nice. Yeah, it was, it's very nice. And we, you know, just would talk and joke and play games and just hang out. But it was very, very nice. And there's a huge void there now because of what Tosh brought to the family. Of course. Dynamic. Did you have any idea, like in your mind, were you, did you have any guess as to what may have happened before they actually knew? No, Mm. no, none at all. I mean, they told me it was an overdose, but I was like, really, you know? I just, you know, I don't know. And of so, what, right? Yeah, exactly. Of what? And that was my question. Well, of what? And um, so that was on Tuesday um, by the following. So his services were nine days later, nine and 10 days later. And I got a call while we were preparing for his celebration of life from the coroner, uh, Sergeant Clark telling me that they had expedited his toxicology report because they feared that what ended up being true might be the case. And so, because they had had another death right before Tosh's. A local death? A local death. Okay. It was Monterey County, but it was, you know, within uh, a mile of Santa Cruz County. So for nine days, you had no idea how this happened. Oh my, oh my gosh. Yeah, but I will say I have, again, I keep using this word, but very sadly, I've met many, many moms now and sisters and brothers and what have you um, of people who don't find out for months. Oh, wow. What the cause of death was. And um, so I'm grateful that I found out in nine days. Wow. And so Sergeant Clark told me that they had found uh, fentanyl in his system and whatever the drug is that's in Xanax Mm -hmm. and that he had actually, that's what he found in that Motrin bottle was three quarters of a Xanax. Now, was this a prescription bottle, the Motrin bottle, or was it like a one that you could buy at the grocery store? That's it. And he had gotten this Xanax from an acquaintance of his Mm -hmm. and that he trusted and he is, this man is a drug dealer. So mm-hmm. he was selling people these counterfeit prescription medications. Now he claimed that he didn't know it wasn't Xanax and they believed him because, mm-hmm. you know, of, of the relationship between these, him and Tosh and others. But I found out later, just um, kind of, you know, word on the street kinds of things that he actually did know and knew who made it. Mm. And unfortunately, he um, only 
served one year in jail Mm. for selling illicit drugs otherwise Mm. and for weapons possession. So Tosh bought it for the properties of Xanax, which is for anxiety? Yes, Yes. it's for anxiety. Okay. And so, and he believed that this was a true Xanax that had come from a prescription somewhere and that this friend somehow got a hold of it, but it came from a pharmacy basically is what he thought. Well, I think, yes, I believe that he believed that. Right. Um, And why he bought it, I don't know. I can't, I have questions. (laughs) Sure. I would ask him and only him could answer, you Mm -hmm. know, or only he could answer. I do know that Tosh used cocaine sometimes with his friends. Mm-hmm. And I do know that sometimes people will u- use Xanax to help bring them down from their okay. high. I do okay. know that. Um, I believe that evening, though, Tosh took it to help him sleep because mm. of his hives. And that makes sense. I would bet my life on that. He, he only took a quarter of a Xanax. Wow. Yes. So they found the remaining three quarters. Okay. And, so how? what's the size of, of the the Xanax that he like in comparison to maybe another pill, is it a, um, uh, well, it's a, it's a pressed it, pill, right? It's it round. Is. It has, it's not round, it's oblong and it has three scores in it Got so it. that you can break it off, which is what he did. And wow. it's pressed with the, the word Xanax and okay. to the naked, to the untrained eye, and even to some, the trained eye, in many cases, you cannot tell the difference. Right. And I have seen, um, you know, I was in part of an article by the Wall Street Journal. Mm-hmm. Um, and Tosh was the feature story, if you want to say it that way. Yeah. And they showed magnified a photo of a real Xanax to the left and a photo of a counterfeit Xanax to the right. Mm-hmm. And these are magnified mm-hmm. and it's difficult to tell the difference. Wow. And so a, a Xanax is only about mm, ha- not even half an inch long um, from end to end. And uh, it's white. And so what drug dealers or drug traffickers, I should say, are doing are they're buying pill presses online? Amazon. Yeah, every. It, yeah, that's right. That's right. They're everywhere. I just looked. It's easy. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's there's crazy. no regulations about them. Right. And they can make their own in their garages, in the trunks of their car. Yep. I I have learned more than I ever want to know about this problem. The fentanyl is coming from China. Hmm because it's cheap and they can take a kilo of fentanyl that they can get for, you know, several thousand dollars and turn it into over $3 million on the street. What is the purpose of the fentanyl in the, in the fake pill? Yeah. So the only purpose is they can, um, some people want the extra high, but they don't know. They're not knowingly buying it for that. They're mm-hmm. buying it for the Xanax properties, the benzodiazepine, I think is what it's called. Okay. Uh, that's what they're buying it for most people um, or the, or Percocet. They think it's pain medication. That's how Prince died. Right. Was from a counterfeit Percocet because mm-hmm. um, it was a street version um, or 
oxycodone. I met a woman, uh, some sisters of a woman who hurt her back at work in Florida, just started a new job and a coworker gave her uh, oxycodone for her back pain. Mm -hmm. That evening, she's at home with her husband. They're going to go out to dinner, but she can hardly move because she hurt her back at work. And so she he goes up to check on her because she's going to shower and he finds her dead on the bedroom floor. And she had no idea. She was not a drug user. She just hurt her back. Yeah. And, um, and it turns out the coworker got it from a doctor who was making them in his doctor's office knowingly. Oh, my gosh. Being, yes. And <gasps> he's serving life in prison now, thankfully. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And I know from this picture that I have from that meeting, they have a picture of a penny and then yes. next to the penny, they have just a little, it's, you know, a, it looks like a little bit of dust next to the right. penny and That's they right. show a little red circle around that and say that can kill you. Yes. So it, the equivalent of a few grains of table salt is enough to kill an adult. So right. uh, that's the thing yeah. that confuses me. Like, why mm -hmm. would the drug dealers want to even mess with this, knowing it's basically going to kill everyone? Because they're making a ton of money. They uh. don't care. It's, it's what is it called? Collateral damage. Oh, wow. They do not care. And the problem is, is that you could have all these pills from the same batch, mm -hmm. and they're all going to have different amounts of fentanyl in them because they're not chemists exactly. or pharmacists. Mm -hmm. So they're, in some cases, if you watch the the 2020 episode, you know, that Tosh's story is represented in, mm -hmm. it shows a man basically using a milk jug, like the kind you, you know, a gallon milk jug, yeah. uh, putting all the ingredients in there and then just shaking it up and then <sighs> putting it in these pill presses. Ooh. Yeah. It's I really, I don't understand how anybody actually survives it at all. Cause it sounds yeah. like to me, the amounts are so all over the place that mm -hmm. there's no way that anybody, I, yeah, it's just, it's Russian roulette, but it, it definitely sounds like Completely. it's more so on the side that they are really, really risking their life. By very much so. Very, very much so. And then, mm -hmm. and it's losing lives every day. Now, when I started working on with this um, organization that you met in Washington, DC partnership for safe medicines. Yes. Um, there were, you know, maybe 40, 35, 40 states they had found fentanyl in, you know, and deaths from these counterfeit medications. And now it's in all 50 states. Okay. Yeah. The paperwork I'm looking at, this is from 2018. It said 43 states have a deadly fentanyl problem. So that was two years ago. Yes, and now it's now all it's 50. All 50. Whew. Yeah. I do remember during that meeting that, um, because of course, how do we avoid this? And the only way to, have, and, uh, and if you can get into Canadian pharmacies too online and what, how that is yeah. so dangerous, can yeah, you explain sure. some of that? Well, and before I do that, Jennifer, I want to explain that, um, you know, we are very free to share our medications with people we care about, mm -hmm. right? So this can happen to anyone. You don't have to be a drug user, um, shooting up heroin or whatever, um, right? At Tasha's reception after his service, a very good friend of mine's spouse came up to me and I had just sat down finally to eat something. And she sticks out her hand and says, Carrie, how you doing? Do you need something? 
and she's got like four pills in her hand. <gasps> and one of them is a Xanax. What? But she didn't know because I had just found this out the day before and I hadn't shared it with anyone yet. But, you know, she wanted to help me feel better. So wow. she offered me a Xanax, among other things. I don't even know. But that's the one that caught my eyes, you can imagine. Uh, of course. And that's what we do. And so going to the, you know, the Canadian importation matter, mm -hmm. um, the, the drugs that are allegedly coming from Canada are not coming from Canada at all. Right. They're being shipped through Canada from mm -hmm. mostly Southeast Asia. And so because it, the distribution route comes through Canada. People think they're getting their drugs from Canada. <laughs> right. And, and they're not. Um, and there's going to, it, it's very dangerous because Canadian pharmacists cannot provide wholesale drugs to Americans. That's what my husband told me. He's Canadian is from Quebec. Ah, and he said, yes. he said, yeah, he goes, that that's not a thing. He goes, we no. don't, we don't sell our drugs to Americans. No, they can't. It's mm -mm. illegal. But we think Canadians are nice. So when yes. we see online Canadian pharmacies, we're like, oh, this is nice. They sell drugs cheaper. to us. It's yeah. Cheaper, you know? Why? That's, right. That's right. So what, you know, we've been trying to educate people about is that the, the Canadians don't want to sell us their drugs. They already <laughs> have a drug shortage. Right. And so they're trying to uh, find ways to not provide export drugs to uh, the United States, even though our government is wanting to lower drug prices and allow for that. But mm -hmm. it's, it's just not, it's going to open the doors for more, um, more counterfeit drug deaths. Mm -hmm. Well, there's an issue with opioids in general, because I yes. know they cut back because yes. it was becoming such a problem in the U.S. And so people, because they can't get prescriptions right. um, from their doctors anymore, or like they right. used to, they just go counterfeit because they yeah. still need the medication. And there are people that have a need for this medication. Obviously, there's people that are in chronic yes. pain and they Absolutely. need opioids, but they have to be taken responsibly. Yes, that's correct. Mm -hmm. And you, no matter what, you do not want to get them from someone on the street. Right. No matter what, I don't care what they tell you that it's safe. Um, you just can't risk it. Like you said, Jennifer, it's Russian roulette and there's no way to know. Uh, I know that Tosh didn't know what he was taking. Wasn't what he thought it was. No, I was just going to say that, you know, just two weeks ago, a young man from Scotts Valley high school died from a counterfeit Xanax. Oh gosh. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. And <sighs> I met a woman three weeks ago whose 23-year-old son just died 11 weeks ago in Santa Cruz from a counterfeit Percocet. Oh, my gosh. Made with fentanyl. And like you said, it just takes the smallest amount to kill you. That part was terrifying when I saw yeah. that little, I mean, I wouldn't, I don't think that I would be taking anything off the street, but just to see how small that was mm -hmm. and that that can actually kill you was just so surprising and shocking. Yeah. I had no idea. And then it's like, it just makes so much sense. I know in this article that you were in from 2018, they said there was, I think there was 46,000 deaths that year mm -hmm. related to yeah. counterfeit medication. I'm assuming, what, do you know what it is today? You know, I really don't. Um, I wish I did, but 
it's an outrageous number. And Mm -hmm. you would think that, you know, I'm doing what I can as are many, many, many other parents. Mm -hmm. Um, There's lots of online groups now of people that are trying to, uh, well, it's there, there's a difference in a way they overlap, but there's one, on one hand, you're talking about addicts, right? So there's Mm -hmm. people talking about addiction, that this is part of it because they're getting bad stuff, right? But then there's the other part where you have innocent people um, studying for finals. You know, I met a godparent of someone, a student who was studying for finals in Oregon and his roommate gave him a Xanax to help him sleep the next morning after he'd pulled an all-nighter and it was counterfeit and it killed him. Uh. He, you know, there are so many people that, are either experimenting or are casual drug users or not drug users at all and just want some relief from Mm -hmm. something that they're dealing with. And Mm -hmm. so it's, you know, one and done really literally there are those people where it's one and done and you don't know, you know, it's the shell game, which one you pick. That's the deadly one. Yeah, I know what stuck in my head that day. They kept repeating brick and mortar. That's yes, where you get your medication correct. from, from a brick and mortar. And I was like, I'd never really thought about that, but you need to get it from your doctor who writes yes. a prescription and it goes to the pharmacy and then you That's get it correct. from the pharmacy. That's and correct. they were talking about all the different, oh, like the avenues, how they avoid, it does, it can't get in. There can't be anything illegal because we have such a tight system in the US where there's That's no correct. way for it to get. Can you explain that a little bit? Yeah. So, um, there's, there's, you know, for one thing, the FDA does conducts inspections and is this track and trace method, you know, where they do so much testing and they're checking to make sure that this is done properly, where Mm -hmm. outside of the United States, you can't trust that, you know, when it's coming from a foreign country, the FDA would have no jurisdiction in Canada mm-hmm. to, to test or inspect their facilities. And, you know, you're so right about that. What's happening is the drug traffickers are exploiting the fact that we have good relationships with Canada. Yeah. Um, and so they are, you know, they're, they're exploiting that by making it look like it's a Canadian drug. But mm-hmm. there's no other country that does the kind of regulating that we do in the United States for our prescription medications. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a very tight um, system. Like there's no yes. way that it can it can come in. And I know there was a man from Walgreens, a pharmacist that was speaking that day. Mm-hmm. Again, I did not think that I was going to be interested in this session. I was fascinated by all of it. It was so interesting to hear like how we do it in the US and mm-hmm. how we make sure that our medication that comes from a prescription from a doctor through a pharmacist, how yeah. tight that system is. And you're that's not, right. there's no concern that medication is no. going to be safe. That's right. That's, that's the track and trace mm-hmm. piece of it. Um, yeah, yeah. There's no danger at all mm-hmm. in that. But the problem is, is that there are people in chronic pain that need Mm -hmm. opioids and they've really decided to go with other routes of um, trying to, and I know this came up at that conference and they were saying, you know, these other routes aren't working for people in chronic pain. They're not, their needs aren't being met still. And these are people who would take it responsibly. So they're feeling like they have no choice, but to go on the street. So it's like this, this problem just perpetuates. I don't know what 
what they're talking about now or how they're supposed to um, fix this in any way. What do you hear? Well, I, you know, it's been, it's been a challenging year because we haven't been able to travel like we have, you know, to Washington to Mm -hmm. meet with legislators Mm -hmm. and to explore, you know, other options for meeting this really legitimate need. And when I was there, I think two years ago last, um, you know, we heard uh, about from federal prosecutors, you know, about these online mechanisms that Amazon sells counterfeit medications. And, you know, so there's this one aspect that I sit on the advisory board for Partnership for Safe Medicines. And one of the things that we're looking at is how can we prevent the online sales of this stuff and hold, hold, and I'm not saying Amazon's a bad actor by any stretch, but how can we hold the distributor accountable for the things that are coming from their websites Mm -hmm. and make them have to take responsibility for making sure that what they're selling is legitimate. Right. Or allowing to be sold, you know? And so that's one of the things we're looking at this year and we're writing, we're trying to help prepare policy that will minimize. I know we're never going to completely cut it out. That's why the education piece is so important is that so many people are not aware of this issue. They've never even heard of fentanyl, which has been my experience in meeting with new people that are affected by it. So that's to me where the rubber meets the road. Sorry for using that cliche, but, um, (laughs) but it really is true is that we have to educate people that this is a danger to you personally Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. to someone you love. Don't think it's the other guy. This is all about what could happen to you. And um, you have to share this information with everybody, you know, and keep getting the word out. It's been five years since Tosh passed away. And I don't think it's gotten any better globally. I think that I have, you know, I'm thankful that I've been able to speak at schools locally. I've spoken Mm -hmm. at some high schools and and middle schools, and I wanna keep doing that once we're able to. But I think, you know, there are other avenues for educating. And I'm kind of thankful that through COVID, we're having to be more creative. And yeah, how do we get that word out to the public? You know, maybe it's through a PSA now. Um, you know, the, it just causes us to think outside of what we've been doing with traveling to meet with legislators all around the country um, who don't really seem to get it because, you know, they just think it's people <laughs> taking drugs and it's not that simple. It's not. It was such an innocent thing that happened to him. Yes. And and let me say this, even let's say even a person who's using drugs for reasons other than, you know, pain or whatever, they're addicted for other reasons. They should not die for taking a Xanax. They should not die from taking an oxycodone because it's got fentanyl in it. That should not be happening. And so even if substance abusers um, are taking these counterfeit medications for whatever reason, if they don't know what they're taking, that should just not be happening. 
That's exactly how I feel about um, HIV. I've said many times yes. that if, um, you know, you're a needle user, you don't deserve HIV. If you've had lots of unprotected sex, you don't deserve HIV. It's That's not how correct. it works. No, it is yeah. not. Yeah. These are good people, you mm -hmm. know, and yes, I, and, and I have so much more compassion for people who um, are addicted to drugs because I know it's insidious. I just, it is. And, you know, very, they're adding fentanyl to everything. They're not just pressing pills now. They're adding it to cocaine and they're adding it because they can stretch, you know, stretch it more cheaply, the volume it, of their product. Is fentanyl used in a legal way that you could yes. actually, okay, so it is available in actual prescription medication. Well, not to the average person. It's used in hospitals. Okay. Okay. So it's used for surgery or or cancer treatment, you know, okay. for pain, because it is a very, I mean, obviously a very high powered opioid. It's, that, can you, do you know what the um, difference is between that and like an opioid? Like at times it's like. It's so it's 50 to a hundred times more powerful than morphine. That's it. Okay. Yes. And heroin. Wow. I mean, get, think about that. We all know how powerful heroin is too. And, and fentanyl synthetic. Um, there are synthetic fentanyls. There's analogs, they call them. Mm -hmm. So there's different kinds of fentanyl. There's carafentanyl, um, which is even like a hundred times more powerful than regular fentanyl. Wow. And some, some drug traffickers or manufacturers that are making these fake pills are using that. I do remember it was Dateline that the Tasha story was on? No, um, 2020. 2020. And I do remember them trying to track down in China mm -hmm. it directly. They were trying to find where the fentanyl was coming from and they, they'd have these addresses and they'd, everything was a dead end. They just could not oh, yeah. find and them. And that's still happening. Um, more recently, I read an article about they've, they know a man that only by his, his fake name, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, who's, um, actually creating now they're calling it precursor drugs so china is sending the drugs or the uh, I, the ingredients that go into making this fentanyl you know mm. separately so mm. that they can um to mexico or whatever and then those those drug traffickers are then turning it into fentanyl so mm. that they can avoid detection how does it make it its way into the U.S.? Just through the mail. Uh, you'd be surprised. Oh. Yeah, because it's so oh. it takes so little, mm -hmm. you know, that it can easily escape detection at wow. the ports. Yeah. So they can mail it. They can. Oh. Um, it's crazy. And there, we just don't have the resources in the United States at the ports to inspect every package that comes through there. Right. And so, yeah, that's one of our biggest challenges is that we cannot keep it out of the United States and we can't get cooperation from China. Mm -hmm. And I know that Trump, you know, had they had agreed that China would prosecute people that were manufacturing it. But that is not happening entirely. <laughs> mm. OK. And I don't want to, you know, really speculate about why or why not. Um, that wouldn't be wise. But it is not, it is not happening. You know, that's, yeah, that's a big part of it, the problem. Okay, yeah. But they're also, you know, the, 
the cartels in Mexico, they already have their distribution routes all set up from years past. Wow. And so they know, and they are, I will say, I got to give a lot of credit to the DEA and um, all the work they are doing at the borders, our border patrol, they are actually capturing lot or intercepting many of the smuggling that's going on there at the border and making huge busts because they're getting uh, smarter about where these guys are hiding it, you know, in bicycle frames or wow. in, yeah, in produce bins, you know, uh, coming across the border mm. of, of agriculture. But the problem still persists just oh, as absolutely. much as it did, or it's getting even yeah. worse still. And that's why I feel like we're not going to keep it out of the country. So we have to really up our game in educating people and making them aware mm -hmm. of these dangers. Is there a direct correlation from them um, when they, and I remember when this happened because I worked at a doctor's office and from 2011 to 2013. Mm -hmm. And I knew that we had a doctor in town who had his license taken away because everyone knew he was the opioid doctor. If you go to him, uh -huh. he'll sign and they took his license. I, I'm not sure if he spent time in jail, but yeah. he was no longer allowed to write those prescriptions. And so I mean, I feel like those, these things went hand in hand. There was a, um, they were writing prescriptions, they were overwriting and they would, everyone would go to him. And then, you know, there was um, issues with that, obviously. And then right. I, I don't know, do you feel like that's why the problem became? Oh, I think that, but I think it was even bigger than that. I think mm -hmm. that it was uh, Purdue pharmacy or pharmaceuticals that manufactured fentanyl and uh, not fentanyl, but the opioids and okay. oxycodone and so forth. And they were giving doctors kickbacks. Oh, gotcha. For okay. Selling, um, for, you know, selling their drugs. Uh -huh. they, they just pleaded guilty to doing that, knowing that it was addictive. Oh, wow. Yeah. And just recently. And so um, that, you know, that, problem has stopped now uh, but it's too late you know they got all these people addicted to oxycodone right. for their pain medication mm -hmm. you know, for legitimate reasons having surgeries you know for uh joint issues or what have you you know neuropathy you name yeah, it yeah you name it and so that was that they were pushing it they were the drug pushers <laughs> right and they're addicted and they need it and i know yes. um this actually happened to um and my ex-husband's sister who'd become so addicted to opioids that when she went in to have surgery they couldn't put her under because her body was so saturated oh, from wow. years of abuse that they said yeah. this was like what they were giving her to try to put her under for like a, it was a shoulder surgery. Yeah. They said would have killed the average size man, oh, but her goodness. body was so used to it at that point. It's, mm -hmm. it's a, it's a terrible drug. Yeah, it is. It is. It's so sad mm -hmm. uh, because they did not sign up for that. They just wanted pain relief. And she was desperate. She had gone to that doctor that was no longer able to sign or uh, write over prescriptions mm -hmm. for people. So she came to our office and they saw her list of medications and they refused her because they knew she was an addict. Yeah. And I know like for the doctor's office I worked at, you had to sign a contract. This is mm -hmm. like how we're going to give you this medication in a safe way. And mm -hmm. if you, and you know, we'd get the uh, people who would call in and say, oh, my bottle fell down the toilet and I 
I need another bottle. And they'd have all these excuses. My so-and-so yeah. came into my house and stole it and I need more. And these were just people that were going through it too fast, yeah, using right. too much. Right. And it, you know, our doctors were onto it. They understood that these people had addictions and, yeah. you know, they'd have to have a hard talk with them in the office, in the, you know, exam room, and they'd have to sign another contract or they would fire them from our office. It was, yeah, I, I right. saw this on a regular basis. It was really, you know, it was sad to see, but it was mm -hmm. a, de it's a definite problem. Yeah. Well, and the other part of that equation is that we didn't, and I say we collectively as a society, mm -hmm. didn't offer them any alternatives. Right. And so what are they going to do? Exactly. You know? That's it. Yep. So they have to go to the street because they yeah, don't have, they right. don't have what they need and they are in pain. Yes, and then they've also right. built up tolerances. They, they can't even, they need to get more to be able to touch that pain and help them yeah. because they've gotten so used to it. That's right. Yeah. So I have you know, a little, yeah. oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, you know, it's been really um, gratifying for me to go into the mm -hmm. schools and speak face to face to these students. How and do they take it? The oh kids? Oh Yeah. They are, they are moved. They're blown away. Blown away. Wow. Um, they, they could, because I talk about who Tosh was as a person they can relate you know mm -hmm. to his love for sports he was a great athlete i didn't mention that before he was a most valuable player second baseman his sophomore year and most valuable defensive player his senior year baseball um he was a i think by the time he quit but he was a purple belt in judo and won a silver medal in the junior olympics and wow um, and he loved music he loved making you know he would freestyle rap I have a, a bunch of recordings on his phone that he made himself like voice memos of himself rapping. <laughs> oh, what an awesome surprise to find. I bet yeah. you never, you'd never, um, never heard, this before, right? heard him. Yeah. And, and you know, he would be mortified to know I'm listening to this music, <laughs> <laughs> this rapping, but it's very, I mean, it's not my kind of music and, you know, or yeah. my values, but I love hearing his voice. I bet. And oh my gosh. Talent. Just know that you have so, that. Yes. Yeah. He was so talented. Oh. And so they can relate to all of that and know that he was just another guy like him, them. And I remember putting the whole story together because I'm a skater. My husband's a skater. Oh, yes, we had right. gone to Bill's Wheels, which is yes. a, it's been around forever. It's a skate shop in um, Santa Cruz. And they have yes. a huge mural on the side of the wall as you're driving into the parking lot. And I remember seeing this mural of this man's face young man's face mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i had no idea who it was didn't yeah. put it together at all and then when i talked to you and found out that that's his dad yeah. the owner of bill's wheels i was like yeah. oh oh my gosh oh that's tosh that was tosh yeah. oh my yeah. gosh couldn't yeah. believe it because i already yeah. felt like it was crazy that i knew that he was i don't think that i ever met him at knob hill but um I remember when the story went around and Knob Hill's a mile from my house. So it was like, yeah. I remember just feeling like, wow, like this is, it was really hitting home. And yes, then, right. you know, yeah. Person. Then going, yeah. Then going to Bill's wheels and seeing his picture and then not realizing that's the same person that had passed away that worked at Knob Hill. And then yeah. going to Washington DC and seeing you in this paperwork, I'm like, oh my gosh, I've got, I have to talk to her, you know? Yeah. yeah. It was just so many coincidences and I, yeah, I, I couldn't yeah. believe it. Did, and he yeah. didn't skate, right? And, Just out of curiosity, he didn't? No, not at all. He didn't. <laughs> That's kind of ironic. <laughs> he didn't skate. Yeah, he was more into your traditional sports, you know, yeah. football, baseball, um, 
and but his yeah. his dad is a legend in mm. Santa Cruz County. Absolutely. And, uh, Absolutely. And, and consequently, you know, that has helped in just making connections with people um, to be supportive, you know, kind of just be a, an advocate for them. And reach loss. that young skate yes. community also. That's correct. Because yeah. yeah. I can, when I go speak at schools locally, mm-hmm. I can say, you know, hey, how many of you guys know about Bill's Wheels? And so many hands go up. And yeah. then I can say that, well, Bill is Tasha's dad. And I want you to go check out the mural that's on the wall. And I want you to remember what you've heard today, that he is just like you mm-hmm. and that this could happen to you. And I want you to remember that when you're faced with making those choices, that this could be you. You don't want your mom or your dad or your siblings having to see you lying in a casket because you made a mistake, didn't plan to die that night or that day. And I actually, I had um, stickers made Jennifer of his signature because Tosh had a very artistic signature. Oh, very nice. Where can people get those? Um, They can write me Mm -hmm. at toshastory.com. Uh, Tasha's story at gmail.com. Tasha's story at gmail.com. Okay. And I want to make sure that I give all the information of where people can, um, you know, learn about safe medication. I know that um, when I was at the meeting, they handed out these little flyers that say um, five ways to save money and stay safe from counterfeit yeah. drugs. And so yeah. is that safemedicines.com? That's the uh, dot org. Or dot org. Okay. Yeah, it's .org. Safemedicines.org. I'll put those in my um, notes to this. Good, good. Yeah, I want to make sure everybody has access to all that information because it's really good information. It is. It's eye-opening. It really is. I have to tell you, and there was another man that spoke there that day, and I'm sure you know him, named Rick Roberts. Yeah, I sure do. His story was just blew my mind. He'd been injecting himself with uh, what he didn't even know what he was injecting himself with. And he was, you know, back in the days he was an early, um, he was, you know, in the early days of HIV and was diagnosed with HIV. And uh, he was having, I can't remember, he was having lots of strange side effects and things weren't adding up. And then they found out finally that he'd been injecting himself that wasn't even the right medication at all. And I think it was, I feel like it was female hormone medication or something. Uh, yeah, well, I think all, there was mold in it too, if I'm oh, not boy. mistaken. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I yeah. sat with him at lunch after and I just said, your story blew my mind. I was, yeah. the whole thing was so shocking to find out that this actually, this happens and that there's, and this was before all of the preventative um, measures were in place with pharmacies, correct? When this happened to him? Yes, this was back in the 80s, I okay. think. Yeah, early on in the HIV fight. Right. Yeah. And so, and then it took years, I guess, for the FDA to finally like rein everything in and make it a very safe, so- secure system so that yeah. no more, you know, counterfeit medication could get in. That's well, correct. Exactly. There was no awareness at all. Counterfeit medications. Safemedicines.org. Yeah. Good. Okay. Yeah. Good, good. Yeah. He's, well, a, he's really a miracle, actually. Yes. I thought so too. I thought, wow, like you're injecting medic. You don't even know what you, they really didn't even know what he was injecting into himself. It wasn't what he thought it was. It was serostrum or whatever is what they thought it was, yeah, yeah. but it wasn't. And that's the thing. That's just like this. 
that people do not know what they're putting in their bodies. They mm-hmm. think they do, but they don't. Unless it comes from a pharmacy and right. the doctor wrote the prescription. Otherwise, right. there's no guarantee at all. Not at all. And more than likely, it's not safe. You know, that's correct. Again, it's just Russian roulette. So why even take the chance? Exactly. You have to assume that it's got something in it Mm -hmm. that could kill you. You have to assume that. Now, this might be a silly question. And I know there's a lot of kids that do use recreational drugs. LSD at the Mm -hmm. high school is very popular. Cocaine, ecstasy, ecstasy, pot and all that. Are are you getting, not that I want to say anything's okay, but are, is there Mm -hmm. any chance that fentanyl could be in any of those? All of them. Okay. My God. Wow. Uh, Yes. I have read reports. Okay. Uh, Even weed. So anything that does not come from the pharmacy could be mm-hmm. potentially. Now, I will say, yeah, with the recreational weed, you know, I think that if you get it at a dispensary. Right. Um, you're, uh, that's different than just getting it on the street, just like anything. Right. There are a yeah, lot I of know. kids experimenting with drugs. Yes, it's, and, mm-hmm. you know, that hasn't changed at all mm-hmm. through the years, but the fentanyl um, explosion that's has. a game changer. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's the game changer. And so when, you know, when I speak to these students, they are really blown away by what they're hearing. And, and there's tears mm-hmm. in the room and there are lots of hugs afterward. Oh, and, um, yeah, it's very sweet. It's very yeah. sweet. And they, um, you can tell that it was meaningful to hear Tasha's story. And mm-hmm. that, yeah, mom, you know, that's, telling them, don't let this be you. Right. Right. And unfortunately, like this young man who just died at Scotts Valley high, sometimes it takes something like that to shake everybody up again. Unfortunately. That's right. right. And I'm trying now to find avenues to given these recent deaths to um, do a larger effort to the community Mm -hmm. to, to raise awareness even more now. Well, you let me know if I can help you in any way. I will. Thank you. For sure. Appreciated that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if there's anything else you can think of to add, let me know. I didn't, I want to make sure I cover everything. I can't think of anything right now. Mm -hmm. I always think of things later. (laughs) (laughs) I just think the big thing is, you know, just know that it could be you. That's really the big thing. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for oh, doing Jennifer, this. Thank and I'm you. Gosh. so happy that I can put this information out there. I did a little YouTube video about that meeting, but I really wanted to have Tasha's story and I wanted you to speak and, and have people that listen to me hear this because it's so important and it's, it's uh-huh. all over the U S like you said, it's uh-huh. every single state now. It is. It's, it's scary. Yeah. Very scary and heartbreaking and beyond. It's not just in uh-huh. the U S yeah, that's correct. It's yes. all over. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well you have a good rest of the day and thank um, you. you. Yeah. And thank you for doing the work that you're doing. It's oh. really meaningful and people need to keep doing it and getting the word out. I really, I had no idea when I went to that meeting mm-hmm. and here I'm living in California where, you know, I should be very aware of these drug issues. And I really, I, this, all that whole, it was just an hour and a half of that meeting, but it blew me away. And I just thought, wow, like people do not know this information. No, that's so correct. I'm so thankful. Mm-hmm to you for um, providing this opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, of course. I hope it reaches somebody and makes a difference. I really do. Me too. Me too. Yeah. So keep in touch. I I will for sure, Carrie. Thanks, Jennifer. Okay. Have a great rest of the day. Thank you. You too. Okay. Okay. Bye. Bye. -bye. 
Another big thank you to Carrie for taking the time to share her son's story today. Please go to my show notes for links to Tasha's 2020 story, as well as an ABC special on what really killed Prince. I will also include a website for safemedicines.org. Thank you so much for listening today. And if you'd like to be notified of any of my upcoming podcasts, please be sure to subscribe. If you'd like to help me out, then please rate, review, and share my show. Today's show, of course, was brought to you by Benny, Olive, Sky, Toby, Finn, Basil, Baby Kitty, and Sawyer, my beloved kitty who has not come home. It's been two months. We love and miss you so much. Okay, bye guys. Have a great week.